It's my pleasure to be uh, with you here in our pastor's stead. Uh, he is uh, in North, Car uh, North Carolina, Colorado. He's in the mountains somewhere. Uh, Rocky's not the um, Smokies. Yeah, Rocky's not the Smokies. Uh, our friends, uh, Mike and Kay Steiger, uh, have been gracious hosts this week as the Restore Hope Board has been meeting. And so we pray that it's been a time of uh, a productive time and a refreshing time for them. I want to say thank you to the, the choir and orchestra this morning. Uh, that, that song is, I believe, or the creed. Baptists, as you know, typically are not creedal people, but that right there was a pretty good summary uh, of our faith. That was a pretty good statement of faith right there. We do believe. And the thing that was expressed over and over, we believe in the name of Jesus. And that, that is our theme uh, this morning. Well, I, I think you realize it takes a lot of volunteers for us to um, to gather for worship, to uh, lead in Bible study, to bless and care for children on Sunday morning. And so we constantly need uh, folks to volunteer, volunteer to serve. I was pleased that we had a new member of the parking lot uh, greeter team this morning, a couple that had just joined the church a couple of weeks ago, and he's already serving, and uh, we were grateful to see him. I say that to say, here in a few weeks, uh, things are so unsettled, we're still trying to get back into our our main building over here, trying to get that certificate of occupancy so that we can begin to use that space. But soon, we're gonna be having uh, a Get Involved Fair that allows you to know about so many of the volunteer opportunities that we have here at our church. And I wanna give you the opportunity to volunteer uh, to get uh, involved and to get connected and to use your gifts and to serve. Well, as we, uh, as we gather this morning, uh, there's never been a greater need for us to embrace the truth of Ephesians 4 than right now today. Um, with the, the partisan politics and the COVID stress and just the, the general unsettledness of our lives, it's so important that we as the people of God uh, remind ourselves and, and recommit ourselves and re-embrace the truth of Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. We're told to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's never been a time where it was more important for the people of God to commit themselves to that truth. And what that basically means is our life needs to authenticate our faith. Our daily lives need to, to authenticate the faith that we express. Uh, I heard a clip this week from Matt Chandler. He's the pastor over at the Village Church. And he was talking about the desperate need for Christians to be salt and light in the world today. Uh, and he said, interestingly enough, it's never been easier uh, to stand out from the rest of the world. It's never been easier to be that salt and light because sadly, right now, the bar is incredibly low. Um, you don't need to live a puritanical, ascetic lifestyle. Uh, you don't need to um, have a degree in systematic theology. You don't need to be able to argue the finer points of orthodoxy. Just don't be a jerk. Just don't be a jerk. Uh, he says, don't be angry all the time. Don't be proud and opinionated. Don't look down on people who hold a different position than you. Don't throw up on social media. 
really care about people and seek to bless them in Jesus' name. Well, I think he's on to something. I believe that's good advice, but it's also applied theology. It's, it's taking what we believe and applying it to real life, to everyday life. Well, as you know, in, in this year, 2021, uh, we're on a journey of faith together. That's been our theme for the year. And during the fall, this series uh, is, what do you believe? And so for these nine weeks, we're looking at what we believe, our core convictions, uh, how that is shaping our worldview, the lens through which we make sense of the world around us, the system by which we process all that we're exposed to. And it's those core convictions that we live out of, that we respond and act and react and speak and make choices out of. Uh, And so last week, uh, the question was, what do you believe about truth? This week, the question is, what do you believe about Jesus? And as I I told the online campus in the intro with Katie uh, before the service, the pastor could not have given me a better better topic. I'm grateful that of all the, the topics, the sermon topics he could have assigned to me, he gave me this one. What do you believe about Jesus? And I would tell you that progression from last week, what do you believe about truth, to this week, what do you believe about Jesus, is a very natural and appropriate progression. Um, because the, the essence of what we be, believe about Jesus is that he is the truth. Um, now, when we ask this question today, I would tell you it's life's most important question. Most important question you'll ever be asked to answer is this, what do you believe about Jesus? And it's a question that Jesus himself asked, asked his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. And so for our text this morning, I would ask you to stand if you can. If you can't stand on the outside, I believe you're standing on the inside. As we read this text from Matthew's gospel, beginning in chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Thank you, you may be seated. And really that's it. Uh, That's life's most important question, and it's asked by Jesus himself. Who do you say that I am? Well, as you know, there are lots of opinions, lots of thoughts about that, but there's only one correct answer. And Simon Peter gives it here. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. But what does that mean? What does that really mean? Well, two weeks ago, our daily Bible readings were in the book of Colossians. And in the first chapter of Colossians, verses 15 through 20, uh, there's this, this beautiful, probably a hymn, of the early church that really summarized and expresses uh, the the personhood of Jesus. It says in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, uh, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Were there thrones or powers or rulers or authorities? All things have been created through him 
and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That is a beautiful, powerful summation of the person and the work of Jesus. And we could end right there, but there's so much more. There's so much more. So last week when the pastor asked uh, the question, what do you believe about truth? Our daily Bible readings were in the Gospel of John uh, this past week. And I would say again, that's very appropriate. And I'm quite certain it was very intentional on our pastor's uh, part because John is the Gospel of truth. John uses the Greek word for truth 25 times in his gospel. Aletheia literally means the state of not being hidden. Uh, it's being fully revealed, a factual reality. And of course, for John, that truth was fully revealed to him in a very powerful way. And he was compelled to share that truth with others. And so uh, for John, Truth wasn't just some abstract concept. For John, truth was tangible. It was relational. And it was embodied in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. John describes this encounter with truth with Jesus in his first letter. In 1 John 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, listen to how John describes Jesus. And, and this encounter with truth. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In his recounting of the life of Jesus, the Apostle Paul frequently uses those Greek words for true or truth or truly. Uh, over and over again, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, I tell you, Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Um, and you recall towards the end when Jesus stood before Pilate, he said, uh, I came into the world to testify to the truth and everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Of course, that's when Pilate famously said, what is truth? And as you and I know, that question still resounds today in society. What is truth? Well, as we consider what is truth as it relates to Jesus, and as you consider what you believe about Jesus, I think it's important to, to ask, well, what does Jesus say about himself? What statements, what testimony has Jesus given about himself? Well, part of Jesus' declaration is found in these seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. 
part of John uh, expressing what Jesus said about himself is in these seven I am statements. And, and for us, we can appreciate them, but I'm telling you, the first century Jewish audience that heard Jesus express this uh, would have thought about Moses and his encounter with God in Exodus 3, where God chose to reveal himself to Moses and says in a resounding way, I am, I am, I am who I am. And Jesus uses that, that same description, those same words, when he talks about himself. He says, I am the bread of life, in an obvious reference to the manna that God provided to sustain his people. Uh, I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. These seven I am statements, along with uh, many other claims to divinity in Gospel of John, uh, make it clear that, that Jesus knew who he was, uh, where he had come from, what he had come to do, and, and where he was going when he left here. And so it doesn't really leave room for us to think about Jesus as, uh, as, as a nice guy, a good teacher, maybe a prophet, uh, a rabbi, uh, a religious leader. That was never, never God, uh, Jesus' intention. He claimed to be God, claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be the only way to God. And he did that intentionally. Jesus was never looking to impress people. Jesus was never just wanting to gather a crowd or be well-liked. Jesus wanted people to repent and have a right relationship with God. That was his purpose all along. And so uh, when we think about his claims, uh, calling people to himself, calling people to, to repent, to have this right relationship with God, um, he never used trickery, never used deception. He did miracles to attest to the reality of what he was saying. He, he healed and he fed and he met real human need to express the heart of the Father. But it was never trickery, it was never done to impress. And so as we think about Jesus and, and who he is, um, either he is who he claims to be or he's not. Either Jesus is exactly who he claims to be or he's not. And if he's not, then what? Then what? Either Jesus is God or he deceived people through intentional fraud or he was delusional and self-deceived. But he can't simply be a good man, can't simply be a good teacher, can't simply be a religious leader. C.S. Lewis, uh, probably better than anybody, uh, used this classic trilemma argument for the divinity of Jesus. Uh, he uses the, the phrase, lunatic, liar, or Lord. Is he, is he mad, is he bad, or is he God? 
can only be one of those three. Um, this, this trilemma argument is expressed very well in uh, C.S. Lewis' book, Mere Christianity. And, and here's how he sums up this, this argument. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Well, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. And you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Well, I don't know if that logic makes sense to you, but even the, uh, the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens had to agree with Lewis' assessment. Unfortunately, Hitchens arrived at a different conclusion. He believed Jesus might have been a sorcerer or a fraud or a fiend, uh, certainly not, not God himself. But you know, throughout history, uh, people have criticized uh, this argument, this trilemma, saying that uh, it's wrong to only give three options. There are certainly others. Maybe uh, Jesus was um, sincerely wrong. Maybe he, he really believed these things, but, but he was wrong. He didn't understand what he was saying, uh, which would, I guess, add fool to the list. Lunatic, liar, Lord, or fool. Others say, well, Jesus never said those things. Years later, his followers made those claims for him. He never made those claims himself, which then I guess could add legend to the list. But I am of the mind. I'm just not smart enough to go beyond taking Jesus at his word. I believe Jesus was exactly who he said he was. I believe that he uh, did what he said he did. But always throughout history, there are those who want to to deny the miraculous. They want to discount the narrative. Uh, they, they want to eliminate all this supernatural business. They want to be able to explain things with human logic. And so as the pastor uh, told us uh, about how we develop our belief and how we seek the truth, if, if you're convinced that, well, in the beginning man, then you'll use region, uh, uh, excuse me, reason and, and the materialistic uh, to conclude uh, where truth is. Of course, if you believe, as the Bible says in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, then we depend on revelation, divine revelation, and the transcendent to come to our conclusions. And so uh, when Jesus says he is God, uh, we either take him at his word or we believe he's something else. But I would ask you, what's the alternative? 
What really is the alternative? Because where else can we turn for transcendent truth? Uh, no one else has the words of eternal life. Uh, in John chapter 6, Jesus has shared some hard sayings with his followers. There was a large crowd that was following. But he began to make it clear that he wasn't going to be the kind of earthly ruler that they were looking for. He had not come to overthrow the Romans and to restore the nation of Israel to its golden age, as they all, all wanted. And so uh, the Bible says in, in John chapter 6, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So Jesus turns to the 12 and says, do you want to leave as well? And again, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. He understood, as I understand, where, where else will you go? No one else has the words of eternal life. And that really is the crux of the matter. Our pastor has referred in the past to the scandal of particularity, uh, that, uh, that position that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to God the Father except through him. And, and that flies in the face of this age of tolerance and inclusion. There are many in our society who think the highest and greatest good is, is just inclusion and tolerance. And so the scandal of Jesus claiming to be God and the only way to God just seems so narrow-minded, so limiting to them. Uh, they just have a heart. Who does Jesus think he is? Who does Jesus think he is? Well, he tells us who he thinks he is. And we can either accept it or we can reject it and deny it. Uh, when you declare exclusive loyalty to Jesus, people get uncomfortable. You know, in, in interfaith settings, it's safe to talk about God, safe to talk about the church. But if you begin to talk about Jesus, folks start to get on edge. People get a little uneasy because the, the battle is always around the king. The war is won or lost around the king. And what we need to understand in this spiritual battle that we're engaged in, the battle is won or lost. The war is won or lost around the king, King Jesus. And so when, when we say Jesus is Lord, we're declaring that Jesus is God and we worship him as God. We're declaring that Jesus is our king and we are loyal to him. Our allegiance is, is to him. And, and Jesus is our boss. He's our master, and we obey him. We, we do what he says. And so uh, as you think about your response to who is Jesus, uh, I would encourage you to consider uh, this claim that Jesus is king, and, and the battle is all, always around the king. Yesterday uh, morning, uh, when I came home from the men's breakfast, which was great, appreciate the men's committee putting that on, and Many of you were there, and Ricky Shillette did a great job. But I came home after the breakfast, and uh, Kim was standing out front finishing up her walk. She was talking to two of our neighbors, Peter and Margaret, who had just kind of been finishing their walk as well, and they were out front. So we went around to the back, and uh, we're just standing there talking. And I was talking to, to Peter, and all of a sudden, uh, he dropped the little hand weights 
that he was carrying and he got this glassy look on his face and he stared at me and, and began to sway. And his wife looked at him concerned and Peter, are you okay? And he didn't say anything. And so it was obvious that they, he was in a bad way. So uh, I went over and, and Margaret went over and we, we tried to take him to one of the chairs in the back. But as we were guiding him, he just collapsed and went to his knees. And Peter's a lot bigger than I am. And so he took Margaret and I down with him. And uh, he was there on his knees. And we, we finally managed to kind of get him over in a sitting position. But he was just limp. And so I, I held him from behind just pat him on the shoulder and head. And, and Margaret uh, was just trying to talk to him. Well, it became obvious pretty quickly this was serious. And so Kim uh, got her phone, called 911 and, and went out to the street to wait on the ambulance to arrive. But as I was holding Peter and as Margaret was, was trying to talk to him, uh, she was trying to get him to open his eyes, trying to ask him if he was okay, but he was non-responsive. So then she started talking to me. What should I do? What should I do? I said, it's, it's okay. Be calm. Um, Kim's going to wait for the ambulance. They'll be here soon. But then she wasn't talking to Peter and she wasn't talking to me. Uh, she just started talking in a very passionate voice. Well, Peter and Margaret are from Nigeria and she began to talk in her heart language. And I didn't understand the thing she was saying, except one word, Jesus. Jesus. She was passionately praying over and over. Jesus, take care of him. Take care of him. Uh, Jesus, be here. And uh, why, why would she do that? Why would she do that? I think you know. There is a name that is above every name. And it's Jesus. Uh, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the person of Jesus. And so in that moment where nothing else matters, where your whole world is condensed into the immediacy of the moment, who are you going to call? Jesus. Amen. Amen. Because there's power in that name. He is God. He is God incarnate, God in the flesh. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the light. And no one comes to God the Father, no one experiences eternal life uh, apart from him. And so uh, I, I don't think I need to convince you all of the, the truth of this, the reality of this, but you may need to help share that conviction with someone else. And so I encourage you to do it. The world desperately needs to know Jesus. And not all are going to accept him. A lot don't want to be bothered. They don't want to wrestle with the deepest question, the most important question they'll ever be asked in life. Who do you say that Jesus is? But it's the right question. And there's only one right answer. Jesus is Lord. And I pledge my life to him. And so we know that someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And many most will do that in shock and fear. But some of us will do it in joy and fulfillment because we've known it all along. We know it now. Jesus is Lord. And so our responsibility 
as the new covenant people of God is to declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness in his marvelous light. And so as you think about what you believe, about belief, about truth, uh, about some of the other things that we'll talk about in the coming weeks, prejudice, government, eternity, when you think about Jesus, that's the one that you need to talk about more than any other. You can talk about politics and the role of government, what it should be. Talk about prejudice, concerns about how we relate to one another. But what you need to talk about most of all is Jesus, the person of Jesus. Because again, the battle is always around the king. And, and we are ambassadors for Christ. So um, someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess, but we're gonna do it today. So I want you to say after me, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Say it again. Jesus is Lord. And I hope you believe that. Hope you believe that with all your heart. Let's pray. Fathers, we gather here today. We come from so many different walks of life, so many experiences. Uh, even this week, uh, we've all had challenges that have uh, caused us to have to, to make hard decisions, to reflect on who we really are, what we really believe. But I pray that at the foundation of, of all of that, we would discover anew that our, our hope, our identity, our security is in Jesus Christ and our relationship to him. And so if there are any gathering uh, this morning, either in person or online, and, and they hadn't thought about it or hadn't settled that issue, uh, hadn't really considered the claims of Christ, what others eyewitnesses said about him or what he said about himself. But today they realize either Jesus is who he said he is or he's not. And if he is, then I, I give my life to him. I worship him as my Lord and my Savior and my God. If he's not, then he doesn't warrant any more attention and I'll just go on about my business and live my life any old way I want to. But no one else has the words of eternal life. No one else is offering truth and a personal relationship with God. So I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, you convict those who need to, to give their life to Christ and, and help all of us to pledge our allegiance anew to the person of Jesus Christ, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and then to live our lives in a way that authenticates that faith. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.